Hello and welcome to the Irish Catholic Podcast with me, John Quinn. This week I was with Father Paddy Byrne in Port Leash Parish. We looked at the ways that parishes can utilise media to effectively communicate the gospel today. So I'm here with Father Paddy Byrne. Thank you very much uh, for your time. We're here in Port Leash. Thank you for uh, having me today. Well, firstly, it's lovely to be able to communicate. Um, my name is Paddy, Paddy Byrne. I'm 44 years of age, uh, coming up to 17 years ordained. Um, a native of Carlo Town, born a twin. Uh, I'm very conscious on these days coming to the referendum, born to a very poor family. One of the things that sort of I'm very passionate about in the referendum debate is the question of socio-economic context for to give life. So in the day, my mother had very little choice but choice for life, and I grew in a family where there was lots of challenges. One of the big challenges in our home was our dad was an alcoholic. That was managed with love, but there was a lot of vulnerability. And growing in a family where there was addiction, it becomes the norm. So you knew no better. And unfortunately, in the area I grew up in Carlo, that was the norm in many, many homes. Big families, lots of social poverty, real poverty. And I think it grounded me. It grounded me in a number of areas. It grounded me in the values of justice in the values of equality, but particularly the opportunities that's out there when we try to work hard. And particularly my mother was an inspirational woman in that regard. In terms of life, I often quote her because I'm, I'm doing a lot of interviews on radio programmes these days. And it's something maybe in the secular media they don't like to hear, but our mother would have instilled a confidence in us that there's something very special about you, Paddy, or there's something very special about you, Esther. And how do you know that? And our mother used to say, it was the very first minute I learnt of your flutter in the womb. Uh, Faith was a very much part of the reality of our life. Uh, We grew up again in a most working class part of Carlo, a huge family in in looking back in a tiny home. Now I see big houses that I wouldn't really call homes and the differentiation between home and house and where there was a lot of love as well, and a lot of sharing and giving, but prayer was part of that. So I was quite bright. Uh, I would have been encouraged in a family context and all of my siblings to get out there. The way forward would be to achieve well in education and whatever career path we chose. So um, I would have been involved in the parish in Carlo, and then um, after my leaving cert, began to be aware of a niggling deep within me that would have been there for many years. How can I serve God as opposed to how can I serve me to make a few bob? Thought the idea was a bit crazy. The church was absolutely at the time beginning its crisis where I was afraid people might think if I wanted to be a priest, could I be part of a church where paedophilia seemed at the time to be such a big issue, where there was a huge distance in many places for the relevance of the Catholic Church. It seemed to be dying. And I suppose I was conscious as every teenager among our peers, what would my peers think about me? Would they think I'm gay? Not saying being gay, there's anything wrong with, but at the time in a, in a laddish culture, if anybody was gay, it seemed to be always a bit of an issue where bullying certainly would take place. That was the first fear. Would my family think there was something wrong with me? And it just didn't seem to be the cool thing to be. Uh, so I decided I'd put it on hold. Uh, after my leave insert, I went to study in Trinity College in Dublin. A big challenge again for a working class family. Uh, less than 2% of graduates going to Trinity and to third year 
come from that poor working class environment and at the time there was very little support and that was a mighty challenge because not just had we to organise our own accommodation but the first thing was to get jobs and pubs or clean hotels to pay for your education where you're sitting beside people in the in the best, I don't want to sound culty here against the dubs but in the best modern label and uh, you know there was challenge about that but also there was a conversation happening that enthused me in trinity there was the the places where you know those observances were becoming real in political issues as well so they would have got involved in societies that would have communicated that particularly in the hist and the phil in trinity studied politics economics and history and the absolute uh example of people who I knew very well like Peter McFerry getting involved in issues and I got the courage and I spoke directly I didn't go through phone lines or helplines at the time you could just call up to your bishop his name was Larry Ryan he was a wonderful man he knew me because I was involved in the church as server I was a server in the cathedral in Carlo with my twin brother until we were 17 years of age so he actually said he wasn't surprised at all and he welcomed me with an open arm and hence six or seven years later when true formation was ordained a priest. My first parish was sent to Newbridge, thought I could change the world and eventually I realised I could only change Newbridge. Then I went to Bangletstown, a little bit more mature, began to focus a little bit more on me and where am I in this uh, wrestling years, wonderful years in rural parish. And then I'm here for the last six years in Port Leash Parish in the Midlands. So, so just that's a little bit of a context in the background mm. of who I am. Uh, a man with a bucket of energy, born premature. We were two months premature. Uh, and my mother often said the minute you came out of the womb, you were in a rush. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of energy within me. Um, uh, recently, I had a bit of an ill health scare. So I'm trying to manage that energy in a more maybe pro- proactive way. Uh, genuinely, in terms of my priesthood, never got out of bed in the morning without feeling happy to be a priest. Uh, never hit that wall in terms of a vocational crisis. Uh, the only crisis I have is opportunity. Uh, <laughs> have I made a mistake about maybe over 20,000? Have I walked down the wrong pathways in life? I have. Uh, have I learned from them? I have. Is it good to make mistakes as adults? Absolutely. Uh, I'm blessed with good friends. Um, I'm, an, I'm a radical lover of Jesus Christ. Um, I think he's a wonderful God. I think when we get to know him more and more in our personal lives, his life is so inspirational and so present, particularly as we're speaking, coming towards uh, Pentecost that the power of Christ in the spirit is very life-giving. And I think that that spirit is wonderful. I'm very conscious as well, in terms of myself, in the diocese here of Kildare and Lachlan. It's a very big diocese, huge uh, population, well over a quarter of a million. Port Leash, the parish I work in now, is one of the fastest growing urban towns in the country, well over 26,000. Very conscious in the last census, despite what secular media say in the privacy of people's own homes nearly 80 percent of them ticked them themselves as members of the catholic church but that i just see great opportunity it would be the word i put on things i think it's an exciting time to be a member of the church very much so that's that's an interesting there's a lot of things that uh, you've kind of come up with there but i find 
remarkably what you're speaking about there is your your story is obviously very powerful and important and the reason that the church exists is to spread the news like the very reason the church exists is to spread good news and to communicate as you did so eloquently there communication seems to be kind of in your blood and that's one of the areas that uh, you perhaps might be best known for, uh, you know, with Twitter and with the book that you had. And one of the things that I've noticed since I've come down here is that communication is very much the lifeblood of what is going on here in Port Leash. And yeah. that's something that I find very interesting. I think many parishes would love to be able to do communication in a better way, but are perhaps looking for ways to do that. Could you speak a little bit about how you have found the process of communication? Do you find it easy, uh, you know, especially communicating the gospel in a secular world and to some of the opportunities that have come from there? Yeah, well, I think fundamentally and theologically as priests and as Christians, all followers of Jesus Christ, his final command, go out and tell the story of good news. Mm. I used to buy it every day. Now I buy the Times maybe twice a week because you know there's it, there's so much fake news out there. And I'm not equivocating the Times to fake news, but there's so much negative news, and particularly as church. And I see the church, you know, in a wonderful place because the church is always the underdog in the tradition and of its life. It should never have a cosy. It should never be a cosy, comfortable club. Uh, is there life after the twenty sixth of May for the Catholic Church in Ireland? Absolutely. Uh, should the church be dictating the constitution of a republic? I'm not sure. But the future of the church will always be because we're in a process of becoming. And key to that is communication. And that's why I began our conversation by being personal. The day of the man, and I really feel this is another aside, but communication is one thing, but visual is another thing, and Mm. participation is another thing. And I think the male-centred church is the reason why it's dying on its two legs as a model. The church is never dying, but the model is dying. And I think we have to be frank and honest about that. The youngest priest in our diocese is 26. The next priest is myself at 44. We're in crisis. We have one seminarian. What is it about us that's not attracting people to ministry? And part of that is being male. Part of that is how we communicate. And I think at the beginning of our conversation, it's just a nice I think basic etiquette and courtesy to put a context on who we are mm. before we begin to speak communication or theology. It's an interesting, sorry to cut across there, the idea there um, <clears throat> is very much about witness, personal witness, yeah. rather than trying to communicate the message with the end of helping someone to become a Christian or whatever. Yeah. It's very much kind of come back to the idea that it is about engaging in a relationship with someone and in order to engage in a relationship you need to give something of yourself and be vulnerable absolutely and i think that you know it there wouldn't be a day where i wouldn't have phone calls from radio stations news talk rte particularly local media here now i do write a blog every week you can get that on just google father paddy's blog or whatever i often say why are they ringing me about that say yesterday they were on to me on news talk i got onto it and i never say no about the ACP, that's the Association of Catholic Priests, they had this thing about people coming to speak in the churches and to be done so sensitively. I'm not a member of the ACP, by the way. Um, I, I don't want to go down the road of negativity. Together we are stronger, but I do see them as a very tired, negative group of particularly elderly men who carry a lot of wounds and do 
I think subliminally a lot of negative things to the church in Ireland they're quick to give out but slow to come up with resolution and of course I live in a zone here and I see it in a political zone where there's a whole culture in Ireland particularly in western culture who will sit on their arse give out about everything do nothing contribute to nothing and that negative spirit seems to be acceptable instead of transforming the negativity to something positive mm. and uh, that's why I think the core message of the gospel is as relevant today and more relevant than ever before and what is the message the message is that we are loved and cherished the message is that no matter what God identifies with us through his divine life and his human life the message is that those wonderful values now secularized by mainstream politics equality justice inclusion they're core to the gospel and the catholic tradition for instance today there's a huge celebration that catholic schools can no longer look for baptismal registers that again was an argument based upon a very elite group of irish people absolutely secularized who attacked the Catholic tradition of education. In my 17 years, here in this town, we have 5,000 young people under the age of 18. In our Catholic schools, we have never once asked for a baptismal form. In fact, in our Catholic schools, and I would argue this, they are far more diverse in terms of ethnicity, in terms of creed and no creed, in terms of culture, particularly in members of ethnic groups such as travelling communities, the challenges of poverty that's out there, than the middle classes in Dublin particularly. I really take Humbridge at the former very vociferous anti-Catholic Minister of Education, Rory Quinn, who had the gall after his critique of Catholic schools and his apparent bias in creating options that aren't really out there for a lot of people to then come upon the board of, the board of governors of not only Ireland but Europe's most expensive secondary school. I guarantee you there's no traveller on that. I guarantee you there's no migrant seeking a chance to improve education. I guarantee you there's nobody from the working class areas of Tala or wherever in that school. And I think that's where the church is best. That's where Peter McVerry is very well respected. That's on the ground when it comes to our Vincent de Paul, when it comes to our my own homilies uh, that I prepare on Sunday. You know, it mustn't just be all about holiness. It must be about wholesomeness. I'm a firm believer that the church should comfort the afflicted, but also afflict the comforted. Mm. Last week, it didn't go down too well. My homily was about a room in Sandyford based on Saturday's Irish Times where a bedroom and a kitchen the size of this room where we're having this conversation you'd fit a bed into it. Now it's bigger than the bed where four of us at home grew up in but still it's a very small contemporary room. This room in Sandyford was up for rent for €900 a month. €900 a month. The average rent for a house in Dublin is €2,000 a month. The average rent for a house in Port Leash Parish has gone up to €1,300 a month. That's greed. And that's being fueled by people who already have their own home and then in greed bought their second and third home, many of whom come to church. The vast majority of people who attend church are middle class because I see coming to church like being able to eat the, eat the ice cream after the meal. 
there's an awful lot of people who are poor who wake up on a Sunday morning who are hungover because of taking too much alcohol whose lives are desperate who walking into that building seems to be a big journey to walk into but these are the victims of a market that has spun out of control we've learned little by the economic recession we've gone through and now we're at the greed again i got about 10 very negative comments from people who do own those homes but would see themselves as strong catholic practicing people and who would find it hard to differentiate between the value of what jesus christ preaches in the gospel and what i do in the privacy of my home to get more money in my pocket but I do think that the Irish bishops particularly should be focusing on issues such as that, that these are the ones where our message is really important. The Minister of Housing this week, you know, made a clear political and very, very cynical and sinister decision where he would not register people in direct provision as homeless. OK, so that reduced the number below 10,000. Up here in Port Leash, we have a direct provision centre where I work with families who have been locked up for 11 years. Children from across the world, very talented, who can't go into third level. Children whose basic fundamental human rights about living in shelter provided in this constitution aren't given or aren't respected. And I think, do we want to be a republic for the few or an island that embraces the diversity for the many? And the gospel has a lot to say about that. And I think that, you know, we mustn't be shy. We've lost our voices because we've allowed that to happen. And I think so many clergy particularly, and it's, I'm speaking from a clerical perspective here as a priest, because of the abuse scandals, because when we turned on Joe Duffy, we heard the horror, and some of us chose either to turn off that radio or at least to never engage with it that I think we need, we need communicators who are able to at least be honest, reflect, and then be able to speak and contribute. Mm -hmm. And I think people respect that. I think the people here in the parish, and maybe there's something significant here, but every Sunday we have well over 7,000 people, young families who come to church. It's part of their reality. They're not on their own. It's wonderful to see a packed church. And that for them, it's important that their voice not just is honoured for the 45 minutes of worship, but that you are part of a republic and that your voice in the republic and the values that you stand for are compatible with the structures that must be in place to provide those wonderful values named equality, inclusion, care, compassion. And I extenuate that to children in mother's wombs mm. as well. Interesting that you're saying then with the, the amount of um, young families that you have and the people coming in on a Sunday uh, for worship. One of the things that struck me as we walked uh, through the church there was um, very much the idea of that visual communication that we spoke about before and of trying to speak to people in their own language and of trying to do it in a way that would make sense to them and that feels welcoming. So, for example, in, in your church there, you have the, the large screens up and and so you'll have like the, the words uh, of the different hymns that are up there. Could you speak a little bit about as the parish how you came to make that decision and how that affects the kind of average Sunday experience. Okay well I just think that you know when we manage our parishes I think the, the crisis in Ireland at the moment again it's perhaps another conversation but it does lead to communication we're all trying to do the same thing 
but we seem to be building independent islands as opposed to coalescing our resources and working together. I'm not critiquing Dublin in a negative way, but I often go up for my day off just for a walk around the city and I'm appalled to see that churches are closed so early, the cold building you walk into. There's a sense that the same building looked the same a hundred years ago and that it's out of date, irrelevant and almost dead. So I think brightness is very important, the physicality and the environment and where people come to worship. And thankfully, you know, in Port Leash, it's an iconic red, not most attractive exterior building, but inside our parish priest led a wonderful vision of creativity. And I think creativity is key to welcome. So the first thing is very practical. Doors must be open. Doors must be open. The Lord said a number of times, you know, the, leave the door open. So we open the door of our parish church every morning at 6.30 a.m. and we close it every evening at 11 p.m. That's so important. The other thing is that how can we expect people to come in and worship if they're wearing coats and shivering? How can we expect people to worship and listen to God's word if they can't hear mumbles from the sanctuary? How can we feel that people are engaged if a priest or the presider doesn't preach in terms of a way that can communicate to people? How can we allow parents, young parents particularly, the challenge of bringing toddlers to Mass? That's a mighty challenge. So we decided that we would work on those issues, not that we can fix them, but that we can listen and those parents can help us. So, for instance, at our 11.15 Mass, we have our Sunday school, and our Sunday school would be led by Leaving Cert students and the, their teachers in the secondary schools of the parish, and they would remove, not remove physically out of the building, but to different rooms, up to 150 children from the ages of three to seven, and that they would go through a much more child-friendly worship for the Sunday in catechesis, but that their families could remain to, to, to be nourished and everybody seems to be part of it. So I think th basic things like warmth, light, open doors, heating, visuals are so important. We live in an age where, where lots of our worshippers are growing on in years who may have hearing issues, who may have visual issues, so that we're able to be communicating God's word in the very best practice. Uh, I'm very conscious in Port Leash we have a ministry to the Midlands Hospital, so therefore all our liturgies go out live on our parish radio. But in a time when most people have our iPad, we also have our webcam. So all our liturgies go out on the webcam, and that can be a big thing for funerals, where a nephew, a niece, a brother, a grandchild of a deceased can tune in from Melbourne to New York, from Moscow to Croatia, wherever they are, they can tune in and join us and we make them feel welcome as part of that community who gathers to listen, to communicate and to be nourished by God's word. I like doing simple things like we would have one or two fairly good techno people who have retired from technology and they themselves lead the cameras to have good visuals of that. It's excellent. And then after every wedding and after every funeral, we would present the family with a copy of that memory. For some, it sounds a bit macabre. How would I look back at it? But for others, it's really valued. Mm. And I think it eliminates costs, the time of videotography for weddings. We as church are 
well capable to do all that you know and it's it's our function and it's our greatest strength you look back in the 1450s the early 15th century it was the catholic church the tradition we belong to that began to work with movable type we got the print media out we got in previous generations even to that in terms of the monastic tradition they began to write to script to get the message out in word but we do live in a very fast communicative era where people have little patience to read tomes of volumes but they, 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 they like the sound bites. Uh, you'll just see there, you know, we have follow us on our parish Facebook, our parish Twitter. Uh, it might sound very superficial, but yet a lot of people tune into it. Um, I'm involved in Twitter. I gave it up for Lent, and to be honest, which it was a great old thing, in that I just find it more and more negative. It's, it, there's a lot of negative stuff put up. But, but yet I would feel a responsibility when you accumulate up to 15,000 people who do follow for a particular genre. And I would always try and promote good news. I wouldn't be shy at making comment about the growing gap between those who have and those who have not in this country, the going anti-gospel values that are being put out there, a minister of children, for instance, so vociferous against children in the womb, a minister of housing comfortably canvassing houses on average of 800,000 last week to uh, abort children in the womb, uh, instead of pumping money into the vulnerable, uh, the working classes are forgotten in terms of how their numbers go to third level. So I do think that communication is really important. What's interesting there that I find is that there is the communication can straddle two things. It straddles the welcome and allowing people to come in and to give them an experience of worship that is open and welcoming, which is exactly vitally important. But then what you're saying is that the flip side of that coin is also to use the communication that's there to really promote gospel values, especially if and even if they kind of counter the the culture that's around there. And so it's it's interesting that that to me seems quite a Catholic way of doing it, that we're called to do welcome and we're called to share mercy and we're called to uh, invite in the widow and those who are suffering and poor and to tend to them, to give them the good news and at the same time, as you say, afflict the comfortable. Um, and trying to kind of do the two of those things might seem um, difficult, but there is, you would find, um, there is a, a place for that. There is always a place for that. And uh, again, our challenges in our, in our numbers of who have given leadership positions to do this, and that the people are very disposed to faith. And I think every moment of encounter is a moment to evangelise from baptisms to weddings, funerals particularly, to walking on the street corner, to having a game of pool in the local pub, to going to electric picnic which is just down the road, to being you because it's by virtue of who we are we can we can evangelize and we have clericalized evangelization. And of course in our secondary schools and in our, we're talking about teaching religion, it has failed so dramatically in terms of basic knowledge of faith, in terms of owning the joy of faith. We have become all-encompassing and so all-encompassing that we've forgotten who we are. And I do think there are huge challenges. I think education is key to the renewal mm. of the church. And I really think that's so important. Uh, I think lay leadership is key to communicating a more progressive image of church. I'm just conscious here of uh, our publication mm. called The Link Up. 
you can get all this on our parish website. Most parishes, in fairness, have websites around the country. But it's very important that when I go on to a parish, be it from Clare to Galway, that you know the news of 2012 isn't still on the front page, that these are updated, they're relevant. So we try to do something here in, I think it's unique in Port Leash. It's called our parish link-up. It's colour, it's printed, it's between 24 and 48 pages every week. There's a team of people who operate it. We always use our front page for a good positive visual of something that happens in the parish during the week. We have a parish photographer, and doesn't every parish in the country have one where we have people who are into photography? They just email us in, we print it off. It's showing life, it's showing things like First Communion, like somebody's birthday, like something that happened in the local school, like the local weddings. I use the opportunity to write and reflect upon issues of the day. We have our teenagers, along with one of our parish catechists, who look after what we call catechids, things to engage kids. And of course, the church is very important. It's so important in the times we live in. The church will not survive just by Hail Marys. We need money, and money is so important to invest in a good structure, in a good program, in a good dynamism that allows us to be able to do things very well. So the parish has wonderful support financially, and this is a good one here, the link up, but that's very important that there's a good finance group, that we live in a world where never before has so many people been trained around the question of finance, financial management, and that that must be really a core as well. And how best we can manage our finances in the best possible way to serve the needs of the people. Ultimately, our church is local. When I speak about church in Port Leash, I'm not speaking about bishops. I'm not speaking about the institution in Rome. I'm speaking about Aylesbury Park, about New Park, about Skullvreed, about Port Leash GA. It sounds all very parochial, but that's where the church is strong Mm -hmm. and that's where we need to tap into. But I do think as well in the times we live in, particularly in bigger dioceses and in bigger cities, that spirit of collaboration must be there. Mm -hmm. The problem is as well, we're moving from, in terms of communicating, people get to know their priests and they value us and they like us by and large. We all have our idiosyncrasies. It's not about being popular, but that they know you. And that I think when guys are shifted from Billy to Jack, A to B so quickly, it can be, there's a, there's a whole, a colder atmosphere there that, that, that continuity of presence is very mm. important. And uh, again, the vocation question and communication come hand in hand. The vocation, there's a lot of work gone into vocation promotion in the country and it's doing very poorly. Uh, it's different, it's an aside, but I think where there's communication, there must be honesty. Where are we doing well? Where are we not doing well? We're disastrous at vocation promotion. Why? Because our brand, as we know it, is disastrous. What man, earnestly, and I preface it by saying I'm quite content in my priesthood, But I firmly believe that we need a different model of church. Not that the church needs to change. The church will always be yesterday, today and forever. But the model we're operating out of. I was really disappointed in respect to the former nuncio. On the few days before he left for Albania, he passed a a really sad reflection on his time. He said the Irish church is standing over a cliff edge. 
and he meant that in terms of the vocation and the numbers of clergy. So I think we need something to spark. Uh, is it celibacy? The answer is it's part of it, but it's not all of it. Is it women? Of course it's part of it, but it's not all of it. The spark must be faith, and the spark must be to particularly promote faith among families and to connect with families and I think that is the huge 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 challenge we have is to connect with ordinary family life and that's where you're talking about the church being very much of its community and um, engaging with that community um, <clears throat> you very much see that that's a point where if you're bringing the good news in theory it can get lost but actually bringing the good news into people's lives and knowing them in whatever road and park is around there and yeah. where they're at. And so you mentioned to me beforehand that this parish link-up goes out to every home in the parish, is that correct? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the club, the co the day of the cosy club is over. You know, the church was never asked in the, we're reading the Acts of the Apostles this week and these weeks over Easter. You know, never in its origins was to be the cosy, comfortable, middle-class club, club that it seems to have become where we are very good at being prescriptive about others and we stand for. I think we must be more listening. I, I like, and I'm being political here, but something about me I particularly like about Corbyn's slogan in England at the moment, you know, we are a church for the many, not the few. And I like the model of Francis, and I think Francis's model is far more challenging of church than perhaps we have been challenged in recent times. It's very much about witness. It's very much about the heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very much about rolling up our sleeves and getting out there. It's not so much about throwing on the latest black and white collar or uh, being able to dictate to a couple about how they should behave in a bedroom or indeed to lack sensitivity when it comes to the vulnerability out there in our communities. I think it's about standing in the grey zone and you see, it's in the grey zone where the church can be best. It's in the place where there's uncertainty. It's not either about a sort of an anything goes church, but it's about a church that's there with you and standing beside you. And again, in Port Leash, where else could I learn that more and more is in the prison. It has the fastest growing prison population in Europe, over 1,200 prisoners. You know, and you see the strengths and weaknesses of humanity. You often walk out there saying, where go any of us but for the grace of God? And you see the thirst for Christ in the prisoner. You see the thirst for Christ at Mass. It's a joy to celebrate Mass on a Saturday evening there, where hundreds of prisoners fully engage with music ministry, ministry of the word, ministry of intercession. You know, I'd say one of the most powerful visits of the icon that's going around the country promoting World Day of Family in August happened here in Port Leash, where hundreds and hundreds of prisoners, you know, inspired by that image of Jairus's daughter, a young girl being healed by a young family gathered around a table, by a wedding feast in Cana, Prisoners who, who, some of them because of the socio-economic background, never learned to write, asking the prison officer, can you write a petition for me? Their faith about touch, you know, communication must be more than just words and mediums. It also must sometimes physically touch. And I think that's huge in our Catholic identity. 
I know priests who laughs at me because I make a huge deal about um, St. Blaise. People like the tradition of the candle touching your throat. I know clergy who think it's a bit daft that I would bother and a group of us to go to the shopping centre on Ash Wednesday where literally thousands of people would come for the touch of ashes. I like to do it. Not everybody might be comfortable to do it. Just to set up a sacred space out in the marketplace to hear confessions. That people like to have those sacred confessions. And that's part of communication. And I think it's a fundamental sacrament for renewal. And it ties into communication. The sacrament of reconciliation is in crisis. In most churches, it's non-practiced. First penance, as we know it, is absolutely crazy in my opinion. But there's a huge renewal on the sacrament here in Port Leash. Why? Because we make ourselves available. We have the sacrament available for a couple of hours most days. And people are coming young, not so young. Many of them may not come to church on Sunday because it's a place where communication at a very deep personal level can share their story and do so in a sacred conversation that will never be repeated again. Mm. I know many of us long to have a conversation where I can go, I've never met you before, but I know that what happens in that sacred place will never be repeated. Now it's replicated here in our parish centre where we are currently. We have those sacred conversations in a more secular nuance perhaps where people can be provided counselling skills, particularly by women around sensitive issues. But the sacrament of reconciliation, I think, is a sacrament that can offer a renewal for the church as opposed to closing the door on it. We need to open the door and make ourselves available for that sacrament more and more. That's really interesting. A lot of what you're saying um, around the idea of communication seems to be about availability, about community and about seeing the needs that are out there, meeting those needs, regardless, as you say, of the medium, regardless of um, the secular or kind of sacred nature of that communication. It really is fitting around relationship and it really is fitting around meeting that person where they're at and witnessing uh, to them the relationship that you have with Christ. So it's um, it very much seems to be going back to the root of what it means to be Christian and what it means to be Catholic. And uh, I think there's an awful lot that's there that people can feel inspired by and um, without having to go back to reinventing the wheel. I think sometimes um, we can jump on a latest craze because oh, yeah. we think that's what we need to just you know put on yeah. new hubcaps. No, but no. it kind of goes back to the, to it the basics. It does, and I think really it's core. What's core in this conversation, what I'm trying to say is that it's personal, it's about conversion, it's about being in love with a God who loves us radically. It's about tasting that presence and friendship. It's not about a group of men leading it from the front in terms of priests. I think that day is gone in Ireland, but it's about us owning our faith, owning it in a wholesome manner, in a manner where our lives can be changed. And in that change and conversion that happens every day, who among us doesn't need Christ every morning, every afternoon, every night? And that when we, in that dependency of love, can taste and be sustained by that friendship, then we can, in that message of discipleship, go out and share the good news. And that good news is powerful. And that good news is heard and felt in so many places and is sustaining life. And that's the joy of it, that you know the church will never die. And that's really important. No matter what referendum, no matter what 
problems that exists out there or what attack people may become defensive and say, oh, there's a terrible attack on the church. You know, that's be- perhaps best where that's where the church can blossom and grow most. Um, I often wondered in the past, because I think as we grow a bit older, we hear the scripture differently every time. Mm-hmm. The one that strikes me a lot this time in my own prayer is the question of being pruned. He's out there in the vineyard and he's doing an awful lot of pruning. And he's saying, I have to keep cutting back at you guys in order to bear more fruit. And I think he's asking us to see more clearly, to know what's important, to have that lovely prayer of recovery, to the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But I think deep down, what comes across for us, and I'm speaking now for followers of Jesus Christ, And I think, again, it might sound a bit controversial. For me, following Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the absolute important. Everything else flows from that, Mm. that we must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not a personal relationship with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, not a personal relationship with the institutions of whatever Christian tradition we belong from, that we can grow with that and wherever best we see ourselves part of that, but that the personal relationship with Jesus Christ sustains, energizes, enthuses and allows us as his followers to try and do our best. That's brilliant. That is the fundamentals of why the church exists to share that exact news. Uh, I really appreciate your time today, Father. There's a huge amount that's in there. Um, and again, if anybody is interested in some of the things that you're doing, particularly in Port Leash, they can check out the website and contact you either on Twitter or whatever. So thank you so much Not for today. Not at all. Really and thanks for listening. listening.